This is the Perfectly Mentored Podcast with your host, Jason Portnoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Perfectly Mentored. I'm your host, Jason Portnoy, and we are back with the Ask Jason Live show, where I fielded questions from people live. You're not going to want to miss this one. Check it out. Welcome to the Ask Jason show, where we go live every week answering your questions around business and marketing or anything else you would like to ask Jason. If you have any questions, you can just comment below. For those of you who don't know Jason, he is the founder of Jport Media, an online ad agency which helps scale our clients to seven figures and beyond. He also created the Market Domination Method and teaches it in his private coaching program, Market Domination Coaching. You ready to go? Ready to go. All right. Our first question is from Tom. What's the best strategy to get results with Facebook ads? Well, if you've been listening to me and been following this show or following my content for a bit, I'm not a big fan of the one-off tactics or the quick wins or the quick strategies. I like foundational. I like what will always work and the foundations and principles behind chasing shiny objects or trying to get involved with different strategies and tactics. So I think if you want to have major success with Facebook ads, you have to know what works and how do Facebook ads work. So I think that's the most important part. So understand that it's an auction. So what works really well? is before I even get into there, what works really well is right now you need more creative than ever. You got to test. You got to always be testing within the agency for our clients around 10% of their budget, their ad budget actually goes towards testing, testing different offers, testing different creative, testing things out there. I think we're inundated with uh, so many ads now and so much content that we have to play that game of, okay, we got to keep testing. We got to show different, more creative ad fatigue, which is your creative being seen too many times or become stale happens a lot faster than it used to people concentrating on focusing on the right offer. So you want to have amazing success with paid media, have an amazing offer that you could run an amazing offer for months, even years. If the offer is so irresistible. So I think people try to look for quick wins on Facebook or with any marketing strategy to try to find the different quick wins, but instead they don't focus on, all right, how do I make this offer so irresistible? And do people even want what I have to do? What people even want, like the product I'm selling, do people even want the service that I have to offer? That's the best way to look at it. Um, and then you play into it and understand, okay, now that I have all that, understand that Facebook is an auction, which means what a lot of people don't understand is they try to go into Facebook and sit there and say, how do I play? How do I pay $1 to Facebook and get $5 back? That was a game that worked year, years ago that doesn't work right now because first ad costs have gone up. And secondly, really smart marketers and really smart business people like our agency and the companies we work for understand that if Megan, you are spending a dollar and you need $5 back. Okay, that's interesting. If I know that and I look at my numbers and I sit there and say, if I could spend a dollar and get $2 back or $1 back and I'm okay, I could outbid you. And else, if no matter how good your creative is, no matter how good your offer is, if you're only willing to spend $1 and I'm willing to spend $100 to acquire a customer, 
I know that's a drastic change, but if I'm willing to spend way more than you to acquire a customer and to get my ad shown, I'll beat you. I'll eat your lunch. It's just not, you won't even be able to compete. The way to do that is by knowing your numbers so well. The way to do that is to look at your back end and sit there and say, all right, I could acquire this customer and lose money. So Megan needs to acquire a customer and she needs to be profitable. I could acquire this customer and lose money, yet still, I know that they're going to buy from me three more times. I know that if I spent $100 to acquire them and they only spend $50 with me, but they spend $1,000 more with me over the course of a year, I'm ROI on the long run. I returned on my investment in the long run. And that's the way advertising needs to be played today. It's not how much money can you make in the short term. It's how much money is that customer worth to you in the long term. And if you know those numbers and you can reverse engineer those numbers, that will give you the ability to go out and spend more than your competitors and acquire customers as fast as possible, even overpaying for them to acquire them. But you have to know those numbers. And I think you want the strategy that works to make your Facebook ads work is not only know those numbers, but make those numbers work. Figure out a way to make the back end offers work so that your front end could be spent on just acquiring customers and you could beat anyone in the marketplace. That's the Facebook strategy that works these days. These days, yeah. Okay, Dan agrees. He says spot on. Okay, we have a question from Shan. What is the best way to increase sales? You got to figure out where you're losing the sale. Megan knows this because she works closely with me is I like to measure everything. We have reports for things. We I like to look at everything. Everything's measured. So I need to know if I'm losing sales, where am I losing it or what's going on? So if I have an e-commerce store and I want to increase sales, okay, what's going on? Where am I not increasing? Where am I not spending enough? So are you even advertising? If not, there you go. Go spend that money on advertising and increase your sales. You could knock on doors. There's a million ways to increase the sales. But if, if you're losing sales or you're not converting, then you have to make that connection of look at like where are people dropping off. So if you're an e-commerce store, you look at how many people land on your page, how many people checked out the product, how many people added to cart, how many people started the checkout process, how many people purchased, build that out. And then you could see where people are falling off. So if you see like so many people are adding to cart, but they're just not buying, what's the problem there? What's going on? That's the problem that you have to solve. It's very generic to say, how can I increase sales? but you have to get more granular. You have to get more specific. You have to break down everything and every step that the buyer takes with you on that journey and figure out where are people falling off. And that's the spot that you need to fix in order to increase your sales. Next question from Mohammed. Yep. How does the theory of the mind link to sales pitches and to and one-to-one sales meetings? So I have no clue what theory of the mind means. Honestly, Mohammed, you want to come in and clarify that? But if you mean mindset, it's everything. I mean, mindset's the most important thing in anything we do, right? You go in and try to do a sales call, but you think you're not going to close it and you're not good at what you do, then you're not going to do it. You have to have that belief. Mindsets, look at sports. Mental is the most important part of the sport. You have to be mentally tougher than everyone. You have to be mentally more competitive. If you're in sales, you get hit with rejection after rejection. It's a game where you will get more no's than you will yeses. A hundred percent, you will get way more no. Like the best closers I know are doing like 20% closing rate. That's a 20%. So 80% of the people are going to say no to them. You have to be mentally tough to deal with that. Oh, okay. He says it means that everybody has different beliefs, principles, and desires. So, True. Yeah. That's why selling is a human-to-human sport. It's a, There's a lot of emotion that goes into it. Your job on the sales call is to figure out where the gap is. 
So where is the gap between what they want and where they are now, sorry, and where do they want to be? That's the gap. And then you just got to ask really diagnosing questions of, okay, what's stopping you from achieving that right now? Why do we jump on this call right now? Why is this important to you right now? And then they tell you, I want to do this and this. Why is that important to you? Dig deep, go keep going deeper. Why is that important to you? Because someone's saying, I want to increase sales. It's a very generic answer. You can't really do much with that. But someone, why do you want to increase sales? I want to make more money. I could have a business that supports my family. Why is that important to you? Because I don't really spend that much time with the family. And I started a business because my old job, I was working so hard. I didn't spend time. Now you're getting, you're painting that picture, right? You're finding the real pain point. That's what you're selling to. You're not selling your service or product to increase their sales. You're selling your product or services to buy that person more time to go spend with their family. Get to the root of it. <laughs> 100%. Always. Okay. Next question from Kelsey. I want to put out content, but I don't know what to say and get caught up in my own head and analytical <laughs> and then put out nothing. How do I figure out what to put out? I love this question because I go through this even now and I put out, you know, four pieces of content a day on different platforms. And I put out a lot of content and we do a live Q&A show and I struggle with it. I think the live Q&A show for us has become that way of trying to figure out content because we're answering questions that people want answered. So they're clearly questions that people have and that you could solve. So how do you become that expert in the field? Well, doing a live Q&A show is the best way to do it because you get the feedback instantaneously. And then we could take, this becomes a podcast, it becomes a YouTube video, it gets chopped up, it becomes different clips for social media. That's the best way to do it. I think the question's one of the biggest things. If you look at it, I mean, it's actually one of the most challenging aspects in marketing right now is the content. And I think people struggle with that. What do I put out? What do I say today? What do I do? What's my schedule? What's going on? And I think that's why having what's called like a content flywheel and it's not fishing, a content flywheel is super important. What a content flywheel does is it gives you a plan of attack. So for emails, and I'll use this as an example, we know that on Mondays when we send out emails, it's angle to strategy. And I learned this from my mentor, Ollie. It's angle to strategy, which means I now have to take an angle that hits my ideal target audience. So you have to know what you're trying to put out content for and what you're trying to sell and what your goal is. So if I'm trying to sell a coaching program, like the market domination coaching program, I have to figure out what pain points are and what are the different pain points that are there. And then I create an angle to strategy call. So I take one of those pain points and I create a piece of content around it, a story around it. And I say to help solve this, click the link below and let's jump on a strategy call or let's jump on a game plan call. So I have the different ways. So the angle to strategy, then another one will be like a blog post or a YouTube video or something that we release that becomes another piece of content I could release. Then the other one becomes test a case study or testimonial. And then the next one could be like a weekly roundup or curated news. So weekly roundup of all your emails or curated news of what's going on in your industry. You could take a bunch of links. You could put your own spin on it. You could do a bunch of those things. And that becomes your content schedule. So, you know, Monday, I'm doing this. Tuesday, I'm doing that. Wednesday, I'm doing this. Now, when it comes to that's email, when it comes to social media, you have different buckets. Like what are the most important buckets for you? Like for me, it's family. For me, it's education. For me, it's marketing. For me, it's business. Those are the buckets. So I create content around there. And I think the best way for me to get those answers to the bucket and create that content is through a Q&A show. But I think having a content flywheel will solve 
all those problems for you because it allows you to really understand how to attract, how to engage and work with people. It puts you on a schedule of, okay, what are my buckets? What are the pillars of content that I'm going to make? And what days are those going to go out? So Monday becomes this, Tuesday becomes that, Wednesday becomes that. And that makes it so much easier for you to create content. Yeah. A lot more organized. Organization always helps. (laughs) Okay. Okay. From Eva. Hi, Jason. I'm a financial advisor in the Philippines. My question is, why is it that it is so hard to convince your very own family to be insured? It's always that would give their trust to you, but of course you have to give your best shot to be their partner. Yeah. Family is the worst when it comes to, when it comes to business, because there's a lot of reasons. One is they worry about you too, is they may not trust you in that regard. They see you in a different way than a stranger will. You could present yourself as a professional to strangers and whatnot, and you could bring on that avatar. But when it comes to family, they know you in a certain light. So if you're like that joking guy and whatnot, and you're always crossing jokes, it's hard to then pivot that conversation with someone serious in your family about, hey, let's talk about something serious. This is what we're going to do. Families are always, family and friends are always the last people to come around. And it could be jealousy. It could be they worry about you and love you so much that they don't want to watch you fail and do a lot of things. But the best way to get your family on board is show them success you're having with other people. And then they're going to see that. And they're going to be like, how come you never talk to me about that? (laughs) And then you have that conversation that way. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Okay. All right. From Muhammad. How to overcome false objections and very fast elevator pitches for hard to access customers. You're not going to overcome a lot of objections in an elevator pitch. That's why there's a longer call. I think the best way to overcome objection is is to look at, okay, what are the most common objections you're going to get and incorporate that into your pitch? So how do you make that offer so irresistible? The way to do that is... You understand, again, the gap of where they are and where they want to be and how you bridge that gap and the product you sell, the service you sell, whatever you do bridges that gap. Yeah, that, that's the best way. And if you go on YouTube, I, I filmed a whole, video, a whole video about this called the objection audit, which is go write down all your biggest objections that you get or what you think people will say no to. Is it price? Is it this? Is it that? Write it all down and then write how you solve that. How would you solve that? What's the benefit? of what you do that solves that and what's the benefit of the benefit that solves that. Right. right. Next question from Roman. I struggle with confidence. How do I get over it? Maybe don't take yourself so seriously. <laughs> I think that kind of helps sometimes. <laughs> Look, this for me, doing this right now is me battling a lack of confidence. I never wanted to go live. I didn't want to do live. It's way easier for me to film things and do it separately. I now do stories like live stories on, on, on Instagram. I never wanted to do that at a coach that told me I should be doing that. And I, you should be doing those things, but I didn't have the confidence to do it as someone who puts out a lot of confidence. I still struggle with this every day. I was told go live, go live and make a video. And then I would do like a recorded one, pre-recorded one, and then release that as if it was a live or I would do a story and, but it would be recorded so I could edit and, and watch it and, and make sure that's great. And you have to go out and you have to get the help that you need in order to be more confident. For me, it's either coaching. I get a coach that helps me. I do this. But the most important thing you need to do is take action. Inaction allows you to sit 
and it allows you to fester in that lack of confidence. And then you start playing scenarios in your head. And then you start building up all the reasons why you shouldn't be confident. Action breeds confidence. This live right here is action. You may see it as we're doing a live Q&A show and I, may, I put out a lot of content. I should be comfortable. This for me is action to break a limiting belief, to break some like a lack of confidence. The only way to do that is to take action. The only way to do that is to take small steps. Your struggle with confidence about putting yourself out there on social media, start small, start doing things. When I first struggled with putting myself on social media, the first thing I did was I put a post and I listed every insecurity. It's the Gary Vaynerchuk way, because and he calls it like the eight mile, right? When Eminem goes on stage and he starts listing all of his insecurities so that the person who's rap battling can't make fun of him because what's he going to do? Repeat everything that, that he just said. So if I take that away, if I list everything, I'm afraid of judgment on this is how I feel. This is how I feel. You're going to take me. You're like, I'm afraid of looking like an imposter. I'm afraid of, of this. I'm insecure about whatever feature you have. You put that out there. It's that it's there. It's gone. What's someone going to say? They're going to hate on you for the exact same thing. I said, I know you're going to hate on me. So, I mean, that that's an extreme way to do it. And that's what I did because I just needed that extreme method in order to get over it. But that's how you battle a lack of confidence in action. You got to move. You got to keep going because sitting there and not doing you just and analyzing what if I should have done? Why didn't I do it? Oh, I should have done this earlier. And it just breeds lack of confidence and that trigger and that moves into every area of your life. Awesome. Okay. All right. From Sandy, what's a misconception about entrepreneurship? What's, what's a misconception about entrepreneurship? A misconception about entrepreneurship is that it's for everyone. That I think people think, I think entrepreneurship has been romanticized. I think it's been glamorized. I think that people think that they should be entrepreneurs or I don't want to go work for someone else. I want to be my own boss without fully understanding what that actually means, without fully understanding the sacrifices you have to make. I think it's very easy to sit and look at someone else and say, that sounds good. Oh, be your own boss. Oh, look at Jason. He gets to go take a family day today. I got to be in my office. Yeah. But that didn't come the day first day I started my, like Megan, you have such a unique advantage because you've been with me when things were like, steamrolling and getting going and from the start and coming in and seeing like the changes that happen. But I think people don't get it. I think people sit there and say, it's great. Like, it's great. You got to be with your family. Must be nice. Must be nice. Oh, look at you. Lucky guy. Look at you doing this. Oh, look at you traveling. Traveling comes at the expense of me not being with my family. Traveling comes at the expense of time and being away from people. You start your business to be with your family because that's what most people think, but it pulls you away from family at some times. I think it's much nicer and much better that you could go work a nine to five, be an employee for someone, and there's nothing wrong with it. Be an employee for someone, and guess what? 5 p.m. happens, and you get to turn everything off. You get to be with family, friends, emails. Ah, I'll answer it in the morning. It's just work. Don't really care. It's not my, it's not my business. I don't need to care, but your boss is still home at an 8 PM checking the emails. Your boss is still home at 1 AM waking up going, Oh wow. And had an idea and then can't go back to sleep or has trouble falling asleep because the brain is always working and you're always thinking of different ways. And then you're responsible for employees. You're responsible for growing the business. You're wondering, you're playing out. What if situations I think the biggest misconception is that it's for everybody and it 100% is not. And I think anyone on the fence should think long and hard. And for the most part, most people should not do it. 
That being said, I love entrepreneurship. I'm a big proponent to it. I am not, I am unemployable. I cannot work for someone. I've played it in my head. Oh, I should just go work for someone else. Oh, if this didn't work, I'd go work for someone else. And I, I play all these different scenarios in my head. It would be great for the first two weeks, but then I get fired. And I'm just not, I'm, it's me. It's just how I'm wired. I think people need to do more of a job of exposing the hardships of entrepreneurship. Nine out of 10 businesses fail. That's a misconception that I could just jump in this and I'm going to be a good business owner and I'm going to make money and I'm going to create my dream life and do that. Nine out of 10 businesses fail. Knowing those numbers, I think people really understood those numbers. Why would anyone do that? Why would anyone want to take that chance? But it takes a special person. And if you are that person, I think there's nothing better. I think entrepreneurs are the lifeblood of society, of business and commerce. And I, I think they're, yeah, I love entrepreneurship. There are times where I wish I didn't. There are times where I wish I was wired a bit differently without going too much on that. I think it's an amazing thing to be. But I think if the misconception is that it that this is meant for everyone. Definitely pros and cons. Okay. From Stan, what's a lesson that you can only learn by getting older? That time is the most valuable commodity in the world. That you don't get time back. That I would much rather pay to get more time than spend time to get more pay if that makes sense. I'd much rather that because time is the most precious thing. Time is the most important thing. Time is irreplaceable. And so if I could pay people in the business to hire people and do things that give me time, that's an incredible thing to do. I think when you're young, you think I'm just going to spend so much time trying to make that money and do that, which I get is important to do. Time is the most valuable commodity in the world. And when you're young, you don't get that. You think time lasts forever. I'm a parent. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. I feel like just yesterday, I was in the hospital when my son was born. And that was four years ago, <laughs> right? You want to know how fast time goes? Have a kid, like understand just how fast they grow up and do that. And then you start being like, one of the biggest things is that I was, I had someone on the podcast, they wrote a book called 18 Summers, is that you really only have 18 summers with your kids before they now want to go do their own things and they want to be a family, you technically you only really have 18 summers. That's an crazy thing. I think that's a lesson that's, um, that you can only figure out as you get older is that everyone wants to go back to their teenage years and relive those. And everyone wants to go back to their 20s and relive those. But when you're in your teenagers and your 20s, you just want that freedom and independence of being older and want that, that end result. But those years are the glory years because you just have time. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You don't realize it till you are actually older. <laughs> Sneaks up on you. Okay, let's see if we got any more questions. I think that's it. But I actually do have a question this week. I'm going to throw one at you. All right. I'm ready. I'm okay. ready. All right. What is the hardest part of running a coaching program? Ooh, good one, Megan. Thanks. Yeah, the hardest part about group coaching is the ability to disconnect after each person up there. You have five people coaching. You have five different people in on a group call, let's say, and they're asking questions. Each person has a different need, different want, different area of what they're, what they're in, different financial situation, different goals, different everything, different mindset. And I think as a coach, you have to adapt and you have to sit there and coach people the way they need to get those quick wins and they need to get those results, which is different for everyone else. I think one-on-one -on -one coaching is easy because I could dedicate an hour to Megan. We jump on the call, we sit for an hour and I know I could go that. But when you have the 15 minutes, a half an hour and you need to assess the situation and then Megan jumps off, but Frank jumps in, 
and Frank is completely different than Megan. And it, you have to strip that away and go in. That's hard. Maybe the biggest aspect of it is trying not to solve all their problems for them. I should say I should add for them because I think the beauty of a good coach gets you to think on your own and teaches you how to solve those problems going forward. I think it's a lot easier. Megan jumps on and says, Hey, I don't know how to do this. I'm struggling with this. And I sit there and I do it for you on a call versus me teaching you how to solve that. That's the difference between coach and done for you. That's the difference between the agency and coaching. I think you ha- every person has that, at least I do, has that wanting to over deliver and wanting to give more. So you go in and you go with the expectations of, of wanting to give. And that doesn't really help them because as a coach, it's on them. So I think that, and the third thing I would say is if you want it more than the client wants it for themselves, that's not good. So sometimes you'll have people come in and you want to help them and you're, and you're passionate about trying to help them. But if they don't want to be helped or they don't do the work or they don't show up, you may take that personally as a coach. Where did I fail? Where did I go wrong? But it's not on you. And I think overcoming those three things have been the hardest part of being a coach. All right. Let's see. I think that's all of our questions cool. for this morning. Awesome. Yeah. Next week, we're back. We'll do it again. We'll have more questions. Come on in. Come live. Same time, same place. We were a bit late this morning, but that's my fault. But yeah, Megan, as always, appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. See you next week. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for your attention. And if you made it this far, you're clearly someone who wants to take their business to the next level. And I understand that being an entrepreneur, it's a lonely place. It could be a lonely journey, which is why being part of a thriving community of like-minded people is just super important, as is the ability to instantly get answers to the questions you have in order to scale and grow your business. It's why I launched the Market Domination Coaching Group, and it's we are open for invitations right now to join. So to request an invitation and book a free diagnostic consultation, let's call it a game plan call, head on over to marketdominationcoaching.com. It's where I will jump on a call with you and show you at least three ways you could possibly grow your business. Whether we work together or not, we'll still do this. Uh, It's going to be the best business decision you'll make uh, today. Uh, So speak soon. Head on over to marketdominationcoaching.com. Book your free game plan call and I'll speak to you soon. 